Welcome back to the Real Rat Podcast. Joining us today is a very special guest, someone whose commitment to independent film and the community of Spokane has had a huge impact on the Real Rat journey. A movie lover, a hoops lover, a man with a lot of tools and life experiences in his tool belt, Joe Sheehan. In this episode, we'll get into Joe's very interesting background, the community-centered project that led him back to Spokane, and finally, how it all comes full circle by way of the Real Rat Theater premiere. So, in honor of Joe, go grab some popcorn, and let's get to the pod. Well, Joe, Sheehan, welcome to the Real Rat Podcast. Thanks, good to be here. <laughs> A building you're very familiar with, as we just learned. Yep. So... Before we get into to meat and potatoes, um, you're a movie guy, which we'll get into, and mm-hmm. you uh, have been screening movies for a bit and and seeing movies, I would suspect, for a while now. I'm curious, what, as an icebreaker, what movie have you seen the most in your life, whether whether willingly or unwillingly, I guess? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, maybe... My my old answer for that was probably like I don't know Raiders of the Lost Ark or something because mm-hmm. I used to just be on cable all the time and watched it a bunch as a kid. But now I'm starting to think combining my own childhood with like I have two daughters seven and two years old and we've been watching a lot of like the Disney movies mm-hmm. and I'm like you know all the times I watched those over and over as a kid and now we're watching them again mm-hmm. over and over. Um, it's, so, it's probably one of those. So the, one of the throwbacks or like newer newer ones? Um, I was thinking, yeah, maybe one of the throwbacks. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, it'd be hard to narrow that down yeah. exactly. Um, I know. It's, it's actually tough. I always feel like you get put very on the spot with the movie questions. Yeah. But I was wondering with you if there was like a movie that you've been forced into seeing. But the kids, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Because I can yeah. see that with my nieces and nephews. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's get into your background a little bit. Um, because there are some great tie-ins to your story and, and really the unique history of this block and this building mm-hmm. and and also how that's led to a variety of personal and professional roles for you from my understanding. So um, yeah, let's uh, we'll do that. We'll talk a little bit of hoops and then we'll give you the real rat quiz, which we give everyone at the end. Okay. Nothing crazy. And we'll go from there. So from Spokane. Yep. And... Your family is here, mm-hmm. all of them, or have they spread out at all? Um, you, at different times, we've all been spread out, but mm-hmm. we've all come back to Spokane. Um, I think at this point, it's my mother-in-law lives in Whidbey Island, and that's just about the only okay. person that's um, you know immediate family that's not uh, close by. Now the. To just get to it, the very building that we're in, you know, has a connection to your family and and. Give us just a little bit of background just on your, you know, family history and the deep connection you have, you know, to where we're sitting right now. Yeah. So let's see. This was somewhere in the mid, late 90s. My, I was a teenager um, along with my sister and my father, who was a public defender at the time, got a, uh, I don't know, I guess we, we call it a, a windfall inheritance. Um and my dad, rather than, I mean, he does live it up a fair, fair <laughs> amount, I, uh, I'll ad- admit that. But rather than, uh, you know, just spending it lavishly, he um, started a nonprofit law firm. And this, this stuff all happened incrementally. It was like, started the law firm. And he didn't inform me about what all this was or, or where it was going, I guess, because um, I was maybe too young and he was trying to protect me from it, I guess. Um, Mm -hmm. and my sister that changed later, obviously. Uh, Mm -hmm. but yeah, so he started the law firm and then he bought the community building that we're sitting in right now and had it renovated. Used to be a, like an old brewery and it was, you know, just a rundown building, totally empty. And then it had, uh, he invited all these, uh, nonprofits to join as tenants, um, and really subsidized rent and really kind of, started a, uh, I guess this like intentional development and it just kept expanding on the block. And so it's, um, like I said, nonprofits, they're all involved in like 
you know, a lot of environmental organizations. Um, mm-hmm. Very community centric and yeah, focused. Yeah, there's and- some, um, you know, civil rights uh, stuff with the, the law firm that he had run. But then there's, uh, you know, there's fair housing, there's um, law projects. And we just basically tried to find like this kind of or build this progressive hub that um, mm-hmm. could develop um, relationships and, and kind of all these folks were maybe siloed in different places. And I guess now mm-hmm. we're in a different silo, but, uh, <laughs> um, but it's much bigger and more interactive. Yeah. Yeah. And it's an, it's a fascinating project and I'll get more into it as we go. So we don't need to divest too much into that, but essentially to establish you're from the area, you had a really deep connection to Spokane and this block specifically, you have the one sister or do you have mm-hmm. any other siblings? Nope. Okay. So what kind of kid were you growing up? Um, I was really into sports. Mm. Still am. <laughs> um, I don't maybe play as much as I used to. Uh, these days I'm pretty much into like golf and skiing. Yeah. Those are, those take up my, <laughs> most of my time, uh, as far as the actual activities. But, uh, yeah, as a kid I played basketball constantly. Um, soccer was a year round sport for me. Um, yeah, I, you know, football, baseball, loved watching, playing mm-hmm. all those things. Um, but yeah, eventually, like as I got into my teenage years, I was a, I was an okay basketball player, but I was a pretty good soccer player. So I, I played basketball at Lewis and Clark on the freshman team. Didn't make it any further than that because okay. I, uh, I was, I was small. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I didn't sprout until a couple years later. Um, so yeah, that's as far as I made it with, with hoops, but, um, but yeah, I kept playing soccer through, through high school. And what, if somebody would have asked you when you were a kid, what you wanted to be when you grew up, what would you have said? I mean, up until I was about maybe 12 or 13, it was an NBA yeah. player. <laughs> I, I like it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why you're here right now. That's you know, what I wanted. We, we, we look for people who say that answer in, in this uh, podcast. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> eventually the realization that I didn't, I didn't have the hit the genetic lottery, right. I think, to, to overcome the... Okay, so you go to high school at LC, mm-hmm. and did you focus mostly on soccer at that point? At that point, yeah. It's, okay. Yeah, by the time I was, yeah, maybe 15 or so, I was like, that's that was my that was my game. Okay, and then I, I saw you go from there to University of Montana mm-hmm. for college? Okay. Yep. How was your time in Missoula? I have some friends who've been there. I have family connections to Montana, too. Great. I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> really love living there. Uh, wish I could go back and visit more frequently than I yeah. do. Um, yeah. I really love Montana, and, and Missoula is just a great city. And I saw history. Is that you studied? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Why history? I, I'm, I'm a big history guy, too. But. Um, I, you know, I don't know. There's a... just trying to find answers and truth in, in, in where we are now and how we got here and, and mm-hmm. what, um, you know, there's always a, a long story as to where, you know, where we are now, I guess. And, mm-hmm. and so going, going back and looking at, um, you know, different time periods and different places. And I, you know, I think, uh, understanding the differences in culture and, and how, people think differently all over the world about everything mm. is just fascinating and appreciating the past and how we got to where we are now gives a lot of perspective i've always thought yeah um okay and then from there you went on to do a master's in psychology is that right yep okay correct. so kind of continuing with that theme a little bit the deep thinking the yeah, the- yeah no and, the, <laughs> and my emphasis in psychology or uh, yeah psychology was uh, an emphasis in culture so yeah it was oh, okay. again just kind of trying to analyze how people think differently. So what does that mean? Emphasis and culture. What are you studying then at that point? Like, um, Oh, that's a good question. I guess it was a while ago and I don't know that I necessarily (laughs) use it, uh, in, in what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, it, it really is just, um, you know, different, different mindsets and how, like, you know, I guess an example would be, you know, maybe, some Western versus Eastern thought or, you know, um, individualistic versus collectivist mm. thinking and, um, 
cool. just how family units are different. And so it's almost how the cultural impact dictates different kinds of thinking and psyche and things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, people's environments kind of yeah dictate yeah. the way they they view certain things. Cool, for sure. Well, that's yeah, that's another area I, I certainly could have studied. I think it's it's fun to dive into that. All right, well, so what happens after that point? Did you have the intention to practice? Because I. I kind of know a little bit of the story, but how do you transition, you know, back to here and, and where were you at that point? I was here in Spokane. Okay. Um, I, I didn't really have an in, intention to practice, I guess. I, I was sort of, I had gotten, I had, I had like an education award. So I had a few thousand dollars towards school and I was kind of. I think stagnant in the job I had at the time. And so I was just looking for like an intellectual mm-hmm. endeavor and it, you know, I knocked out a master's in like 18 months or something. Mm. Um, and then after that, I, I got married and my wife was finishing her, um, graduate program. And so we, yeah, just, didn't do anything. We took a summer basically to get married and travel and focus on that. And then, um, and then when I came back, you know, I, uh, let's see, what did I end up doing? I was applied for another program, um, to be a teacher and I got into Gonzaga and I didn't really want to go back to school, Mm. but I wanted to like, I don't know, find something to, mm-hmm. to do and contribute. And, um, anyway, now, I got approached by a friend to, and I worked at a, at a community center and we built like an after school program and a summer day camp oh. and, and, and ended up doing that. And I was like, that's a much better, that's sort of the, in the teaching yeah. vein, but not having to go back to yeah. school. And, <laughs> and now do all I, that. I read that when you left Spokane, you, you weren't necessarily thinking you'd be back. And I think a lot of people have that experience. I'm, I'm from Salt Lake City, and I had that experience. And then I dabbled over the years with going back. And, you know, you always have that connection to your home. But it w- it seemed like it was actually this community project a little bit that sparked some of coming back. Or was that kind of the time where you were like, wow, there's something interesting going on here? Yeah, absolutely. I Yeah, I think at 18, I was like, I'm leaving Spokane, and I'm never going to live there again. There's, there's a big world out there. I'm going to go, you know, explore it. Um, and that's it. I never left the Northwest. I went to school in Montana and and Mm -hmm. loved it. I went and lived in Seattle for a few years after that. Um, and like I was saying earlier, uh, this was all happening as my, my dad's project, the community building. And then, you know, he bought, the I guess the building we're sitting in now was the following year. This is, we called it, I guess the annex for a little while, but Mm -hmm. it's, um, yeah, we had KYRS radio station and the uh, child care center downstairs. And and I would come back and work summer jobs when I was in college and work like construction or I worked as a receptionist at the Center for Justice, the law firm that he had started. Um, and let's, you know, then as I keep coming back to Spokane to visit my family, there's, you know, then it became the Saranac building, which was a huge um project and just, you know, mm-hmm. expanding it down the block even more. Um, and then the main market across the street. Mm-hmm. Um, and so watching the, all this stuff explode and be like such a cool area. Also, I think being away from, you know, your hometown and not maybe thinking highly of it at the time and then coming back and maybe realizing things that I took for granted that mm-hmm. Spokane has to offer. Um, kind of changed my perspective a little bit. Uh, so yeah, after being away for seven, eight years, whatever it was, I was like, I'm going to, I mean, there was another component where my dad's project was getting bigger and bigger. And my sister and I were both like, like I said, we were sort of kept in the dark for a while. Eventually mm-hmm. we were like, this is too big. And this is, you know, a multi-generational project you got going on here. And right. we don't, we don't know what your, like our role is. Um, as far as his intention. And so we eventually, you know, we're in our, our mid twenties at this point and we were sort of like, all right, we're, we're grownups. We're yeah. adults. It's time to fill us in. We, we sort of demand to be um, included in what's going on here. And that's sort of what sparked me deciding to like, I'm going to move back there. I'm going to learn what it 
takes to to run this place to be a part of it. Not that that's necessarily what I want to do. I just want to be able to to understand and to yeah. keep it sustainable. Like if yeah. if somebody's got to be able to keep it going, right. and if it's not him, then somebody's got to be able to right. push it in the right direction. And and it, you know, as we've learned, it certainly takes a whole community to do that. Um, mm-hmm. But we have to participate in the community to, to totally. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense. You know, it's no one's gonna care as much as as your family and and to see everything, all the work that's been put in. It's I can completely understand that. So part of what I'm referencing in the research and what this area has has been dubbed via recent book is called the One Block Revolution. So that's kind of the the tagline for everything and and what's happened over the years. But um, you know, I'm curious. It sounds like you did a little bit of everything. We were talking about this before the podcast, but even in this very room, you said you you chipped some of this brick away, and you. So it, it sounds like you kind of got your hands dirty with everything. Yeah, well, yeah. Like I said, I did a some summer jobs working construction, and yeah, this uh, brick we're looking at in here what didn't used to be <laughs> exposed, so it had like a layer of like plaster on it, and I think I spent three weeks just with a hammer and a chisel and, you know, sometimes it's chipping dust off and then sometimes I'd get that, <laughs> that uh, chisel behind it and a whole block of it would, uh, a slab mm-hmm. would fall off and that was really satisfying. Now what, what, and I know there are, there were many, but in your eyes and in your experience, what was the biggest challenge with doing all this? Cause I know that the lead certification and doing everything from the environmental aspect was really challenging in restoring old buildings and keeping them up to code and all that kind of stuff. Is there, is there one that sticks out? Um, you know, I, yeah, I think one of the things like this stuff happened 20 plus years ago. Um, and so when you're, I guess I hadn't really emphasized like the buildings were renovated in, in, in like as green of fashion as, as possible at the time. And so, mm-hmm. and that was kind of before a lot of those practices were, you know, mainstream or available. And so it was hard to get. So it made certain materials, certain, you know, experts on certain equipment, mm-hmm. like expensive, difficult to get. Um, but it was really about being um, like a model. For, to show like this is the stuff that can be done um, and this is stuff that needs to be done too. Like I think when the Saranac opened, for instance, in 2007, that solar array on the back I think was the largest private solar array in the state of Washington. Mm. I assume that's not the, the, the case anymore. I don't, <laughs> I don't actually know for sure, but I hope not. I hope yeah. that there have been others that have been built. Um, but yeah, so it's it's – the, a lot of the stuff that we did and used were uh, is a lot more commonplace now. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's probably, you know, one of the things that was really important work, but really, like, yeah, difficult to pull off. Yeah, and there's so many amazing buildings on this block. That's why this, it, it's funny the way all of this has transpired and even the how we ended up at the Magic Lantern, which I'll get into for our premiere, but just... I was always spending time here anyways. I'd, I'd go to May Market three times a week. I know everybody there. It's funny. And then Saranac, I love the commons. It was That was an add-on later on, right? Yeah. The, that yeah. building. That's also a great building, yeah. Yeah, that one, uh, let's see. We actually, that building used to be Merlin's, which is owned by John Waite, and we had the building next door um, that was just like an empty warehouse, and we used that for parking, basically. Didn't mm. And we'd just been entertaining, like, what, different ideas on what to do with that building and eventually talked with John enough times to realize like we should just trade buildings because mm. we already have these like three in a row you get an upgrade into a bigger space and we can tie into um you know the rest of the space so we just swapped buildings with him and then that's when the like the the commons idea came together and so Merlin's moved next door and um, and then they uh, yeah put together the the common space, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I love it there. Now before we get to uh, your management of the Magic Lantern part of it, what else 
were you doing it at this time? Because you were also doing other work, right? Or did I see you did stuff at Eastern for a while or anything like that? Or Not Eastern. I was at East Central Community Center That's, okay. um, for maybe just like a year and a half. Maybe it was two years. I don't know. Um, so most of your focus was here throughout the... Yeah, yeah. Little. I moved back to Spokane in 2008. And so since then, I've basically held a couple of jobs here other than maybe, I don't know, three, four years, yeah. years of that time. Okay. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, let's talk hoops for a second because okay. uh, we had a fun conversation the first time I met you at the Magic Lantern, which was... You know, I was in the middle of everything trying to figure out where we were going to have our premiere and we were considering a few different options. And, you know, I had actually been to the Magic Lantern one time before to watch uh, Banshees of Inisherin, a great movie, in the small theater. And odd, funny enough, you know, I'm not from Spokane. It was the first time I'd ever been there. I didn't actually even know that there was the bigger theater there. So... I didn't even think a lot of, I didn't think it was going to be an option in a lot of ways because I was thinking, oh, I don't 30, you know, that's going to be too small and way too small. Right. And, and you know, there's some other bigger venues in town where I'm like, those are a lot, probably a little bit too big. And then as things happen, we circle back around. I realized there's the bigger hundred person theater. You happened to be in there that day when I was there and we start talking, you kind of ask me what the project's about. We start I tell you it's about basketball in Spokane and and we start talking about hoop fest. So tell me just over the years, you know, what your relationship to basketball has been. Have you been playing at anything other than hoop fest over the years, or are you just kind of a fan or what was the uh like I said, growing up I played all the time. I had a grew up on the South Hill. I had a hoop in the street and mm-hmm. every day after school I'd be out there for I don't know, at least an <laughs> hour, two hours. Like I used to, I remember being so excited for things like all-star game or NBA playoffs and the game would start and I'd get so antsy I'd just go out and I'd end up skipping watching the whole game because I'd be outside shooting and nice. playing. <laughs> I just had too much energy to get out. Um I was like that too. Yeah. I uh so yeah I played a lot uh you know again maybe when I was fourteen or so like I'd pretty much maxed out my as a mm-hmm. my ability. So it was just for fun after that and I'd play with my friends and we'd shoot around and um you know I've played Pickup games. We used to have a game at Salvation Army. I've played County League. Um, certainly Hoop Fest uh, off and on over the years. Um, and then I, about seven years, I think it was seven years ago this summer, I tore my Achilles at Hoop Fest. Mm. And I haven't really played any competitive <laughs> basketball since then. I have shot around with friends a few times, and, and I certainly miss it. And I keep telling myself one of these days I'm going to, um, you know, get out there and start playing but i really like yeah i'm worried about popping the other one so <laughs> i'm like i'm gonna have to do it really carefully and i'm gonna have to like kind of amp myself up now to, tell tell us the interesting caveat about that as well who were, weren't you replacing oh yeah right. <laughs> yeah uh so i i hadn't been playing very much at the time i i think my yeah my first daughter had just been born so I'd spent the winter at home and not very active and I had some friends that had a team and they lost one of their guys who tore his Achilles <laughs> getting ready playing for Hoop Fest and so it was about three or four days before the tournament and they were like Joe do you want would you fill in for our buddy who's who's hurt and and I remember looking at my wife and just being like she's like yeah you can do it just don't do what he did right and i was like okay now is it like first game for like when did it actually happen it was second game it was okay. a so couple you made minutes it through one game. i made it through <laughs> one game did fine and then second game and i remember walking around i was like okay i gotta hydrate i gotta stretch i gotta you know do all this stuff and yeah a couple of possessions into the second game i think you know score must have been three to four or something like that and i remember i made eye contact with my teammate we totally saw the back door and I went to plant to make the cut and it just it popped and I dropped and I looked behind me because it felt like somebody had hit me with a right. bat. That's what everybody like says. Yeah. Ran a, like you got kicked in the calf. Or yeah, it felt like somebody slammed a shopping cart into the back of my head. And was it painful something. instantly or did it kind of? No, no, that's what's sort of funny. It feels like you get like clubbed 
And then I dropped and I looked behind me and there's nothing there. And I instantly knew. Mm. And I just, I remember like looking at my wife and just nodding, being like, yep, it, it happened. Um, and then I, you know, went to the sideline and over the next 20 minutes, I think the, maybe adrenaline stopped and the throbbing started and, mm. and, you know, I started to realize like what I'm in for, for the next <laughs> few months. And, and, and your, you said your daughter had just been born around then? Yeah. She would okay. have been, I don't know, eight, nine months, something like that. It's interesting. Cause we had Mike Nielsen on here, former Zag. Yeah, and sure. he told a very similar story, I think, to when I can't remember which line of kid had been born for him. And he tore his Achilles playing pickup. And he said his wife just started crying because she knew, you know, how yeah. much work needed to be done. And he wasn't going to be able to move around. And <laughs> yeah, it's it was tough. Brutal. It's the kind of the dark side. It's the other side of, you know, holding on to something you know, that you love and still trying to play as we get older and the realities of life. And that's a lot of what the, the pilot, you know, we tried to touch on that with the pilot and it's always interesting. The, the injury board at hoop fest, you ever seen that? No, (laughs) it's like, it's like a running like tally of like everything that's happened. It's kind of depressing actually, but I think they keep it far enough away so that not everybody is like seeing it, but you can imagine how many. I, yeah, my wife's volunteered there a few times. And so Mm. I've, I've certainly heard stories about what brings folks in there and it's yeah it's always ankles and dehydration yep. and uh, i didn't even go to the medical attend uh we we knew i was like we're going mm-hmm. to the hospital yes yeah. this is no so something i've always this is a side note but i've always loved this about spokane is people who don't even necessarily love basketball or even have played basketball a ton will play in hoop fest yeah why do you what, what is it about spokane and basketball like why do people love it so much here you think I don't know. That's a really good question. It's it's funny how this place has become such a like such a basketball city because I think you can go back to like I don't know the '80s or before that, and I don't know if there's any reason why there why it would be. It's mm. but I don't know what year Hoop Fest is on now, but it's it starts. <laughs> we just did this at Hoop Fest. I asked this question a thousand times. It started in 1990. Okay, so. yeah. So that's, you know, and then followed by the explosion of Gonzaga, it's. Yeah, it's kind of the perfect storm. Yeah, I guess. And it's, uh, yeah, it's just, it's been interesting to see it become such a, such a basketball town for Mm -hmm. sure. Hoop town, USA. USA. That's right. And so we're here. All right. Well, that, uh, that brings us to the Magic Lantern. So let's talk a little bit about that. So when do you first start? there managing that i came on so see i always struggle with where to actually start i guess Mm -hmm. i I came on in like early 2017 okay and we had taken over management um in december of 16 so i just started like right after uh basically the saranac building the um the previous tenant had basically sold the business and and handed it over to mm-hmm. us and he and he moved on after having run it for for a few years and ownership for magic lanterns passed you know changed hands a number of times mm-hmm. and it's you know it started here in the 70s um so we've been running it since yeah late 2016 early 2017 and i was brought on to kind of expand the kind of rental community event uh component you know like mm-hmm. bringing in your show yeah yeah um expand that uh that part of the and, and expand it in general i think like we had a um hired a jonathan who was a employee from the previous owner so he basically kept his job and was the one get you know he had relationships with all the distributors and was able to you know get films and plan that all that mm-hmm. out um but we really thought that there was this like extra component to the business that wasn't getting utilized. Um, and so it was really about trying to get, um, yeah, rentals and, mm-hmm. and community events and, and, you know, we get a lot of good word of mouth that way. And, um, we and had it, only had one digital projector at the time. So that right. was one of the first things that I was able to do was, was get us a second, uh, projector, which is not cheap. Mm. Um, and I thought it might take us, you know, a couple of years to pay that off. And, mm. what I didn't know was that it was going to expand our capacity, like 
completely. And so, yeah, we yeah. paid it off in, in like a couple, like four months. It oh, just like, cool. it was, it, it, we really, uh, kind of exploded after that. And so the, for a few years there, it was going really well until the pandemic kind of yeah. shut us down. Yeah. Well, we can get, we can cover that a little bit, but sure. I'm curious. I thought it was fascinating reading in the book about, you know, the literal theater, you know, the commitment that had to be made basically to putting the theater or, or even structuring the theater in the building yeah, was absolutely. very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not like you have to soundproof, you have to do a lot of different things and you had to, that can't necessarily be reused afterward, right? If you were to get rid of the theater or something like that. So you had to essentially from day one say, no, we're going to make this commitment to, really like independent and thought provoking film. Yeah. It really had to be a, you know, a belief that could make this work. Cause mm-hmm. yeah, it's like you said, it's, it had to be carved out of the building. Like mm-hmm. there, you know, you do the like stadium seating, right? Like it's that floor was flat. It didn't go down. Like there weren't stairs. And so it's mm-hmm. that stuff all had to be put in. Um, and yeah, if the theater fails, then it's just a, room with a bunch of seats that, uh, you know, at different, uh, different rows. And, and so it's just at that point, it's just like a event space, I guess. And yeah. that's, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that that can't generate some income, but it's then like, at least from a real estate perspective, kind of wasted space. It's very unique. Yeah. yeah it's, it's it, very it, it wouldn't probably generate enough to, you know, that space that could be used differently, but we're, we're making it work. Yeah. Well, we had such a great time there and, you know, flash forward, we ultimately do decide to have our premiere there. And then you mentioned Jonathan, the staff is incredible. He's a basketball guy too. I know. And he was fun to work with. He, we had a funny day where we came in and we gave him the poster and he just ripped down one poster and put ours up immediately. And Mm -hmm. I just thought that was so cool. And, and then Abby was amazing during the the premiere and just she yeah, was telling me about her experience at Eastern being a film student and everything. So, um, and it seems like as far as the events and things like that, it's, it is pretty booked. Yeah. Consistently. Cause I remember looking at even our place on the schedule and you can see all the other ones and yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's taken off. Um, I, at the moment, the rental specific mm-hmm. stuff is, is slower, but I think that's just, that's kind of, you know, the theater, business is really we're really seasonal it's um yeah people are just not booking events to for the middle of the summer so it's it's a little slower these (laughs) days but um yeah we're we have plenty of months where we're getting yeah 20 25 rentals in there and so it's Mm. it it can get schedule can get packed yeah and so it's it's an amazing space to that that 100 person it's it there's an intimacy about it that i love and, yeah. and like, not only just to watch a movie, but yeah, to have an event, it's, you can see and feel the room really well. Yeah. Whereas like, if you're in a bigger space, it can feel really sprawled. And yeah. so I felt like it was kind of the perfect size for us. But something we were talking about before, I, I want to ask you about, cause I'm, I'm nerdy about this stuff, but how does it work from your experience and what you've at least, you know, had the interaction with from the movie side of it. So new movies coming out, right? Um, you just were speaking about the Wes Anderson movie that came out, Asteroid City. Yeah. So who reaches out? Who set, who provides the film? Who gives you like the marketing material? Who like, how does that process work? So we have contacts with probably upwards of 30 to 40 distributors. Um, and they're the ones in charge of, you know, all that stuff, the marketing, the, um, you know, shipping the DCP, uh, files, the drives, um, that we, you know, receive and put on the digital projectors. Mm -hmm. Um, oftentimes, so some of those distributors are really small and some of them are like, you know, subsidiaries of, you know, universal or paramount or Warner brothers or Disney and, um, and so they have all these like smaller, just, uh, you know, production companies, distributors that are, you know, sort of in the prestige film art house uh, game, even though they're, you know, owned by massive corporations. Mm-hmm. Um, so Asteroid City, for instance, God, now I'm going to 
blank on the while we're recording. Uh, I, I want to say it's Focus Features, but maybe it's not. And I think that that's owned by is it Universal? Hmm. Anyway, uh, that's one. That's maybe a, a little bit of a bigger release. So I reached out to them and I, I and I say like, what date would this be available to the Magic Lantern, and what would the terms be? Um, and so terms can vary from film to film, um, certainly distributor to distributor. Um, and they get back to me and let me know whether or not we can open. Like that's one that obviously played at AMC also. Sometimes we can open the same day as them. Sometimes they're like, uh, they're the, you know, AMC is a massive corporation and we're a tiny little mm-hmm. independent theater. So we don't get, you know, first dibs or anything or equal footing. So they're like, you're going to have to wait an extra week. You get, you know, and this happens for lots of releases where it's like New York and LA only. And then it expands to, you know, Chicago, San Francisco, or, you know, other markets. And then, you know, over the course of weeks, it gets to, you know, cities like Spokane. Um, so that one, we, we were delayed a week. Like we opened that a week after AMC. Um, you know, I thought the terms were reasonable and I'm happy to do that. Sometimes I'm like, ah, that's just not going to work for us. Mm-hmm. I, I can't give you guaranteed two screenings a day for two weeks. That's mm-hmm. that's too much if I don't like this is one I thought I was like, this is our game. This is this is one that people will show up for. So I'm, I'm happy to show it that many times. But interesting so they'll they'll literally dictate even yeah down to the detail they can and then yeah yeah, and then oftentimes you know like i said smaller ones they'll be like yeah you there's you know it's 35 percent versus 250 and you know meaning they get 35 percent of the box office at a minimum of 250 dollars um so it's and sometimes there's an advance they'll be like you have to pay Mm -hmm. 500 up front to get get the film and anyway interesting um but then i get to dictate whatever schedule i want at that point i can play you know, just on the weekend or I can play, you know, yeah. give it a crappy time at yeah. two in the afternoon or, you know, wh- whatever I want to do. Um, and I can play it for as long as I want, you know, I can, mm-hmm. and then I check in with them week to week and they'll just say like, are you going to play this again? Are you going to play it? You know, and we just go from there. Yeah. That's Kinda interesting. See, see how it performs. And then I can yeah, email on Monday and be like, can I get it again? <laughs> And they give us keys week to week also. Interesting. So they can like, like the films, we get a digital file, but they're encrypted. And so we can, um, they send a key in email and then I download the key and it unlocks the... Every week you have to do it. Sometimes it'll be multiple weeks. Sometimes it can be, sometimes they're they're not encrypted. Sometimes it's just you download Mm. it and and you can play it whenever. But the key will say like it opens up Thursday morning to the following Thursday evening mm. and you need to get a fresh key to play it another week. That's so, Yeah. I should have, I should have negotiated harder on our terms for <laughs> <laughs> real rad. <laughs> Not like we had any leverage, but uh, now that's, that's fascinating. Like, yeah, I've never, I've always wondered that. And I didn't even think to ask that until we were talking about it before those kinds of things. And I'm sure there's many other things too that go into it. But um, now I guess there are others and, and some of the bigger theaters kind of do play independent movies here and there, but would you, the focus of Magic Lantern has always really been beyond an event space as well, like indie film and specific, like curated film. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I, I don't know what the best or, yeah, you know, term. Maybe least pretentious way to right. say it but i just yeah i refer to it as you know we're an art house theater and we show you know art films in, and that is independent cinema it's you know foreign film documentary um and then i also you know add that you know we'll we'll dabble in the tentpole blockbuster yeah. stuff you know not more than a couple times a year really but yeah. um like for instance we're going to show mission impossible yeah sneak like, peek things have been slow <laughs> lately and so we uh although not this last week we like asteroid city's been doing really well past lives is a really good movie and people are showing up for that one now what what's the clientele typically is it do you have like a bunch of regulars i would imagine I do. People yeah, like have, me, movie buffs. We like, have people that show up every week and nice. s- see just about every every movie. It, um, you know, and then others are just, you know, frequenters and uh, you know, faces I recognize but I don't necessarily yeah. know them by name or anything. Um And you I it, it's interesting to me, you probably get a lot of people still finding out about the Magic Lantern sometimes cuz I know even at Real Rat, 
a lot of people left and were like, oh, I, I can't wait to go watch a movie there. I didn't even really know that was there. Yeah, all, all the time. Um, yeah, one of the things that's difficult about our space is that we don't have like a street front mm-hmm. business. It's tucked inside. The right, there's no you like have, giant like You have billboard. to come into the lobby. And so what you get is a lot of people going to like the Saranac pub and then they're walking out of there and going to the bathroom mm-hmm. and they walk right by the front and they're like, <laughs> what is this place? Is this, they're like, is this like a real movie right. theater? And I'm like, yeah, it's real. <laughs> yeah, like, that kind of happened to me the yeah. first couple times I was in the Saranac, yeah. Yeah, interesting. Well, I can, you know, speaking as a local filmmaker and, and I know many others feel the same, I, I very much appreciate the commitment to that and, and all the things you have to do because it's not easy and I know that. And the last question on it is, so what ultimately keeps it going? Why do it, you know? Uh, yeah, it's a <laughs> good question. I guess uh, it's my job. Um, <laughs> Which helps? No, I obviously, uh, I it's I really like movies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I like being there. I like talking to people about it. Um, I think that there's a just there's a you know there is a communal aspect. I mean, you know, I talk about this in the book. I think yeah. movies are something that can both be experienced like individually and collectively. Um, you can, yeah, watch a movie by yourself and be totally impacted and, mm-hmm. and, and or enjoyment or whatever, you know, whatever you feel out of a particular picture. Um, but going into a space and experiencing it with others um, can change that, that same exact experience, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, like, you know, there's a huge difference between like watching a comedy at home by yourself versus being in a theater with a bunch of room, uh, right? Like, in a big room with a bunch of other people and, and hearing them laugh and and and. There's a magic to it. Yeah, for it's sure. it's it's a different um, thing. And so, that said, I don't really see the movies. I was going to ask people you very that. often. I I usually yeah. have to watch them on my you know on my own. Do now. you uh, do you ever like sneak in and catch a one here and there or like? Is it mostly like outside of the theater that you'll see the movies? I usually have to come into work early <laughs> and screen something um, and and watch it on my own yeah. uh, before I open because like I I can't like run the front of the theater and yeah. go sit in the sit inside and and, <laughs> and watch the show and so sell the, uh, the goods and concessions and yeah, yeah. but uh, you know I still go to the movies like with my family and yeah. kids and stuff and so we go to the yeah, well, it's an ever-evolving business, and it COVID certainly didn't help it for a while, and I'm sure that was a challenge. You um, know, yeah, it's a combination of COVID and then I think the streaming service kind of boom that was already happening mm-hmm. before that uh, has just changed people's viewing habits. Um, it's changed the business completely. Yeah. The, the way the, like, release windows, you know, they used to be, I think, 90 days minimum movie mm-hmm. would get into the theaters they'd be in theaters exclusively for months you wouldn't see them on you know on demand digitally or you know going way back like Mm -hmm. in a blockbuster or -hmm. or whatever on the shelves uh where you could go rent um you know it would take months and so the only place to see those movies was in the theater and now it's sometimes it's weeks or Mm. you know 45 days or something like that and so it's folks are way more likely especially for smaller films that don't necessarily demand to be seen on a big screen uh, people are like oh i'll just wait a few weeks and i'll watch it at home so that's we're sort of up against that and sort of just have to believe that some folks are going to want to see stuff on the big screen and 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 like the movie going experience and it's you know i i guess we have the benefit of like we're really just trying to keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. And so I'm trying to make it a sustainable business. Um, it's such a small business. You know, I'm not, we're not, it's, it's almost like we are running it as a nonprofit, even though it's a for-profit business. Yeah. Like it's, and that's part of the community events and reaching out and, and, and building the uh, business with a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of our relationships are with the very business, uh, nonprofit organizations I was talking about that are in this building and, mm. and they have their films and their groups that they want to, um, 
you know, exposed to yeah. to their followers. Champion, and, and yeah, we I was here for the Washington Film Work event, and yeah, right, celebrating kind of film and and in Spokane and things like that, and in Washington in general. But yeah, I mean, I think it's it's I hope it's something that continues on. I think everybody does, but because I can say on the flip side of what you were saying, it's interesting as an audience member watching with other people is fun. And mm-hmm. I think some people go for that because they want to know that someone else thinks this is funny or that they're being validated then their feelings about a movie or a story or whatever. On the opposite side, it was very interesting for me. You know, I'm a nervous wreck during our first showing and we, I had only ever shown it to people one off, like here and there, and they're watching it individually. So to have, you know, I think in our first showing, we had almost 100 people in there. And hearing everybody laugh at a certain point, of which I didn't even think they would. Right. That's another very interesting thing is I was like, oh, wow, this they find this part funny. Mm-hmm. And then the part that I thought would be funny, nobody laughed at. <laughs> right. So I don't know how as a filmmaker even – you know, if you're just putting it on streaming, how you'd ever know those kinds of things. Or I'm sure you hear anecdotally, you know, or you could go to Twitter or something and like see what people think. I mean, I think that's why like they do the test yeah. audi- test screenings for audiences and, and get feedback and alter their films. And yeah. I mean, that's like a common practice. And yeah. so like, but yeah, like independent, smaller film, they don't necessarily get that. They have to rely on yeah. those, you know, friends and family or put together screenings like you did and get folks in there and be like, mm. I don't know what I'm going <laughs> to, what I'm going to get, what kind of feedback I'm going to get. But, right. um, well, we'll, uh, yeah, we're going to work hard to, to try to get back there and then to have some more experiences in the magic lantern. Cause it certainly treated us well, but let's, uh, let's wrap her up with the, the real rat quiz. So sometimes I have to modify, but for you, you know, you're a basketball guy. You're a real rat, so I'm not going to modify too much here. Okay. Um, so quickish hitters, anything that comes to mind. And we'll start with number one. What's one line or phrase from a coach or mentor that you still remember? Oh, man. And there's alternates if you want to come back to any of them. So, All right. I, I've got one. Okay. Um, this one comes from the golf course. Okay. This Full is, of lessons, the golf yeah, course. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, from getting a little too pouty with things not going well. <laughs> and I, But I think it works for basically all sport. It's like, if I don't know exactly how to say it. Uh, don't complain if you're not putting in the work, yeah. I guess. Like... If you're not working hard to get better, why, why are would you, you expect? Yeah, why are exactly. you expecting results yeah. that you haven't you haven't worked for? Mm. Like you don't like expect to hit bad shots because you're not you don't practice. You don't that's work a at great it. one. I'm just gonna say that's a great one because I've had that exact same lesson taught to me in golf. So it's yeah. interesting that you say that. Well, and I you know I sometimes I get out and I play a lot and I'm <laughs> playing well and I'm like I'm working at it. I'm doing well. And then other times I'm like I haven't played in weeks and I'm not hitting mm-hmm. it well. Like. Why am I being grumpy? Just because I used to hit good shots. Mm-hmm. You know, John Stockton just recently shared this back with me, but this was something I remember him even saying as a kid, which is he had so much appreciation for the game that he said, I didn't feel like I deserved to shoot a shot in a game unless I had shot thousands in practice. And it's kind of that same similar thing. It's like, why are you going to go out and and – be mad about a bad shot in golf when you're never practicing or never, you yeah, know, you're just, right. you're out there just trying to have fun. Yeah. But unfortunately, if you have a little bit of that competitive fire, you get upset. Oh, I still get yeah mad at myself for missing, but I, I feel like I've gotten better over the years to just be like, Oh, that's going right. Bummer. Like, right. <laughs> rather than being like, ah, getting frustrated well, at myself and letting it bother my next one. That's a good one. All right. So, Second one we always ask is worst hoops injury. We did cover a big one for you. Do you have a second worst if that wasn't the worst? I I don't. It's okay. it's that's that was it. obviously far and away the the worst. Uh you know, I've rolled a lot of ankles playing basketball over the years, but yeah. um how long was the recovery? 
Uh, let's see. I was. It's interesting. Like, there's, you know, the. It's a year. Yeah. Like, and actually, in truth, I'm not. I'm still not 100. Yeah. percent Like, I'm not. I'm never back. Going to be back to what I was. Partially because I don't think I worked enough in physical therapy in the immediate aftermath mm-hmm. of that. Um, and maybe I could if I really devoted myself to, but I just, you know, I've got a different life than I did then. Yeah. Um, so it was, yeah, nine months to a year. I, but yeah, it's like I was laid up for two weeks on pain meds and then I'm can't walk for yeah. three months, can't really run and for four or five months and, you know, then I'm walking in a, you know, it's crutches and then yep. it's a walking boot and then oh. it's, um, that's a no joke injury for yeah, sure. So like those, each of those little milestones was nice, like psychologically to be like, yeah. okay, I'm off crutches. I can, I can walk in a boot now, but, um, you know, God, I remember a couple months in just getting up and making dinner in the kitchen for the first time, my wife coming home from work and I've in the kitchen for 45 minutes cooking and I'm like, no joke, just dripping sweating because I haven't been on my feet for Mm. that long. And it's, uh, so yeah, it was, it was brutal. How, how far up the mountain you have to climb just to be a normal active human that we take for granted for sure. Yeah. And you know, I, I I probably could have gotten back to where I was if after that year I had gotten started doing like strength training and, and running and trying to play again. But I, I wasn't able to do that at the well, time. Well, 2024, maybe maybe the return to hoop fest. I'm thinking about it myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, how about number three? This might also be the same, but I put in here most memorable hoop fest moment. Do you have one other than that? Um, I mean, yeah, that's going to probably be the most memorable <laughs> yeah. one. Or a fond I, I, one, like, maybe. Maybe I can think of a success. that. Uh, so I've never actually won. I always thought that was going to be... That was kind of a goal yeah. that someday I'd be on a team that I'd win. And even then, I was like, as a kid, I was like, maybe it won't happen now. It'll happen <laughs> when I'm like 50. Yeah. But that's not looking uh, <laughs> too likely either. Um, How about 13th? Did you ever do the like king of the losers bracket? I've won, I have won the loser bracket once okay. before. I wish I still had my shirt. I yeah. don't know where that went. <laughs> uh, I've gotten third a couple of times. Um, I've, I've been on some good teams for sure. Okay. Um, we... I've had times where I thought maybe we were one of the better, like, you know, if not the best, we were probably second, but we went through the loser bracket. We lost to the best team, like in like the first round or second round. And then we had that, that second day where we're just playing like five games in the dead of the heat. And by the time we get to the semifinal, we're just gassed and it was over. We had a couple, we won where we lost the first game and not, not the strategy that I would, I would tell anybody to go through because it's a, yeah, it's a beast. All right. And then uh, number four, favorite basketball movie. I, I have a, a great answer for this, I feel. <laughs> or at least that may, it ties into everything we're talking about. Okay. The, so the Magic Lantern opened. This is, yeah, going to sound like a total <laughs> tangent. Uh, the Magic Lantern opened in our building in, in 2007. It was in a different location. Like I said, it's been in part of, part of Spokane since the 70s. It was over on Spokaneites will know. It was over by... Uh, on Wall Street above Europa and there's like train tracks right there and um, and it was like upstairs and it's it was a hmm. tiny little space but it was there for decades I think they closed around 98 um, anyway I went to a movie in that venue one time wow I was 11 years old and it was to see Hoop Dreams my, my dad took me to nice. see Hoop Dreams um, which I absolutely loved um, and that was when my dream was still alive. I was mm. 11. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Perfect was, time. Yeah. I was like, but man, just, yeah. Yeah. That, that's that, considered like one of the all time best documentaries really like. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, I've gone back and revisited it a number of times and it's just, I've experienced it differently each time. It's, mm. it, it's, it's so much more than a basketball movie and, and I didn't certainly didn't know that at 11 years old going yeah. into it. I was like, oh, this is just going to be about yeah, Hoop, teenagers. Perfectly titled and, too, Hoop Dreams, right? Yeah, like everybody, that's part of why I asked those questions early on is like a lot of people have those Hoop Dreams. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, it's a, yeah, it's a beautiful movie. That's a great one. And never been said. So, all right. And then number five, we always ask, who's the person in Spokane that comes to mind when you think of the ultimate real rat? 
So you know the concept a little bit. Basically, like, the biggest gym rat, the biggest basketball lover you know here in town. Oh, that's a good question. Um, Jonathan might be up there. You know, I, he, <laughs> he has definitely crossed my mind. He, I think the last year or so hasn't played as much, but yeah. for there was a year or two where he was texting me photos of him on the court, <laughs> you know, uh, in the park and inviting me to join him a lot. And, uh, you know, like I said, I've played County League. I, I, I've got friends that, you know, a good friend of mine growing up, um, he moved away. He's in Boise now, but uh, used to play in the I, – I know a bunch of the guys that used to play down in – I live in Peaceful Valley. Hmm. There's a court down there that's mm-hmm. always busy. Uh, I know a number of the guys that um, – play play down there uh play so yeah, at jonathan paul i have a friend moose who i used to play with uh but he's moved away too yeah. I, don't, I can't even remember where he's i feel like it's the guys i always think of are the ones where you see him in the gyms or on the outside courts all the time where you're like you know this guy's getting carted off someday <laughs> like yeah. he's not he's not leaving amicably yeah <laughs> yeah yeah and uh yeah, and Jonathan, who used to work at the Magic Lantern, who you mentioned earlier, he was he was hilarious. The first time, or one of the times we went, when he put up the poster, he immediately just broke into this basketball poem that he had, and he just knew it dead on, and I was just amazed. I was like, wow. Jonathan's great. We we used to, you know, text about work, but then we'd have, it was two conversations going at once, <laughs> right? It was like, there's the work stuff, and then... And then the next message would be like, you know, we're talking about Zags or, yeah. or, or the NBA or whatever. And then, you know, back to the work and respond to that one. And then I also got to respond to the, yeah. to the, you know, <laughs> NBA talk. And so we're just constantly having two conversations in the same thread. Yeah. It's, uh, I have a friend, I'm going to give him a shout out here. His name's John Medus. He's actually from Spokane and he's a huge real rap and he, he's won the six and over elite one time. His team name was Happy Wife, Happy Life. Don't ask me why I remember that. But he will text me just completely out of the blue. He won't talk for weeks or like even a month. And he'll just text me, okay, in three years, what, where is Chet Holmgren on the list of best NBA players? And then <laughs> like a month will pass and it'll be like, okay, you know, Luka Doncic, like, is he a generational talent? Yeah, yeah, you know, and he just like wants me to give him a feedback on it. It's funny. That's what I do with my friend Paul. We he's <laughs> in Boise now. He was in Arizona too, and we just like, you know, he's come, moved back here a few times, lived here for stretches, and we'll meet up and we'll just talk basketball the whole time. Um, and so when we're not living in the same town, it's like we're like, all right, playoffs are about to start. Like, yeah, whose legacy gets do altered have, by do you have like, a favorite the next few... like team? Or are you more like a player guy or? You know, I I was a pretty big Sonics fan. Yeah. Um, and I haven't been able to let go of that, so mm. I don't have a team. Still heartbroken by that. Yeah. Um, I, I feel like... Uh, I hear rumbling sometimes. I, they say it might come back. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. They've, they've talked about expansion, and it seems yeah. like it's now that there's an arena that's built, I feel like it's, it's on the verge of... Uh, you know, getting announced in the next year, two, yeah. three. Like, I, I, I don't know how they got to deal with CBAs and television yeah. deals and all that stuff to figure it out. Um, so I'm optimistic. I've always been optimistic, but it's also like I've stopped waiting on the edge of my seat. I used to follow that news closely, and and I still do whenever I hear something. But it's uh, I. Um, and that's kind of the void has been filled by the Gonzaga and. Yeah, I was living in Seattle when the Sonics left, um, so that was particularly hard. Having just gone to those teams and fallen in love with you know Durant yeah. was exciting. I went and watched him a few times, um, and I grew up going watching Gonzaga. You know, my, yeah. my parents went there, and I we were going to games in the '80s when I was little, and I was playing under the bleachers. Awesome. And, um, so I watched all that closely. The yeah. and so well, Zags are the biggest taken in town around here, and I'm I'm with you. I've I've followed them for a long time, and it's been fun now. I live right on campus. So, 
All right, Joe. Well, uh, very much appreciate you coming on and, and talking hoops and talking movies and all the contributions you've made, you know, to keep an independent film going here in the area and in Spokane. And it was the perfect place for us to have our premiere. And like I said, I, you know, we're going to work hard to, to get back there and hopefully get some more episodes. You, you emailed me and said some people have been asking. So you know, I guess we got to get back in the lab. Yeah, yeah, I've had a couple of requests. Are they going to show more episodes, or, or what's the deal? I was thinking, so I, was I don't like, know who the heck came up and said that, but I appreciate. Well, I, we it still is. had uh, one of your like uh, pamphlets or or sheet printouts uh, out nice. there, and they were like, "What is this? Are they going to come back and do more?" So that's yeah. cool. Yeah, that's well, cool. thanks for having me, and yeah, building these relationships is what it's all about for sure. All right, well that uh, that wraps up this week's pod. Thanks to Brennan and Spokecast. Thanks to anyone listening. Uh, if you're here in Spokane, go see a movie at the Magic Lantern. I had quite a few people, like I said, tell me that you know they want to go and check out a movie there after the premiere. It's such a great spot for it. So um, yeah, if you go in and you see Joe, tell him you say hi uh, and heard him on the podcast. So we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.